0: What's good, London? Earth Gang here. And you locked into the social with Bashak on the Beat London 103.6 FM.
1: What's up, guys? You're listening to the Beat London 103.6 FM with me, Bashak, on my show, The Social. You've heard about it all show, and we have the incredible Yomi here with us not live in the studio, we're doing it over Zoom, but it feels live, it feels good. She looks beautiful, she is glowing. For those that don't know, Yomi is a multi-award-winning journalist, author, and uh, incredible, incredible writer. Uh, She writes about race, feminism, popular culture, and how they intersect, which is all of my favorite things. She also has a brand new novel, The Offline Diaries, which we'll be speaking about a little bit today. Hi, Yomi, how are you doing?
0: I'm very well, Bashak. how are you?
1: Thank you. Lovely to have you here with us. Thank you. Now, before we get in, I have to ask you, how was the lockdown period for you? Um, I know we're like sick of it and sick of talking about it, but I always like to reflect in a sense because I think we are ever changed. We are. There's there's no going back. Let's acknowledge it. Uh, How was that for you professionally, personally? Did it promote stillness? Or no, I didn't get anything done, leave me alone. I can do
0: that. Gosh, I feel like talking about lockdown, it's like when I think in Handmaid's Tale, they talk about the before time. And it's like, you know, there's that real split and it really feels like, you know, as much as you said, we kind of, people are fed up of speaking about it, but as you said, we're like definitely forever changed. Um, I know I am. Um, I actually, lockdown changed my life hugely in terms of, um, I actually wrote, The majority, me and Elizabeth, um, you've ever the name my co-author wrote the majority of the offline diaries or children's book, um, during lockdown. But also, um, I started my first novel during lockdown, and I'm one of those people that, um, (laughs) you know, you almost feel guilty for having a productive lockdown because it's like it was such a terrible time for so many people. But, I mean, it was the genesis of my first book Uh, my first you know solo book um it was the genesis of the lot or at least um the you know completion of the offline diaries I got lots of paintings on I paint quite a lot and I managed to do a lot of that aside exercising so it was you know I mean a lot of there was a lot of negativity there but I'm trying to keep the mood light (laughs) so I'm like I'll just bullet point all the best things um but yeah I was super productive and I think it took you know um Quite a lot of adjustment to be able to maintain that productivity post lockdown because now I think everyone's so excited to be out and the fact that we can like just do what we were doing before now it's like I will go to the opening of an envelope I will go to whatever event anything just because I'm so excited to be out.
1: Fun I follow,
0: she's out every <laughs> night. I'm literally she's out, out every on. day. I'm out tonight, like, it's literally. I am tired looking, I'm literally tired uploading my own stories. So, no, yeah.
1: I love it. I love it. I'm like, this is the life we should all be living living through you
0: with such joy it's just joyful it's oh amazing. thank you beautiful thank you beautiful. I mean I don't know how much longer I can keep at it but we'll
1: see <laughs> the sadness here you got to get Very, very, very. Good. I love that now you you've been named as one of the most
0: influential people in London which is how does that feel that's like God. Um, God. Well, it's, it was funny, especially um, me and Elizabeth were laughing about it because we were like, we both got named it in that, I think it was 2018 that Evening Standard did this like list and we were part of it. And we were like, well, we, we both live in Croydon and we're like, there's so much debate about whether Croydon is in London. So I'll like, okay, finally evidence, evidence that Croydon is in London. <laughs> Cause otherwise, why are we being named? Um, but yeah, no, it's um it was hugely flattering. Um, I think that was primarily off the back of um our work with Selene Lane and um, which was our first book that we co-wrote, The Black Girl Bible, um, which was all about, you know. I mean, for those who aren't aware, it was like a guide to life aimed at Black, rich women, you know, looking at empowering them in different spaces, whether it be work, relationships, school, XYZ. And I think we didn't expect, we didn't really expect support from anyone really external to our community of Black women um, and Black female readers and Black women that um, wanted to, you know, um, thrive and flourish in whatever space. So when, waves were made and it was kind of picked up outside, outside of that. And then you get the evening standard naming you as well. <laughs> we were like, what, you know, um, joint, I can't remember what number we were, but um, part of that list of influential people. Yeah, it was, it was It was. exciting. And just one of the many crazy things that happened off the back of that book.
1: <laughs> I, I, I mean, that book was a, it is, a, it is a phenomenon and it's so beautiful and powerful and passionate. Uh, and, and kudos to you guys for creating an organic moment
0: you know, that was cute. Yeah, we tried. We always said we always said in the book pictures we wanted it to be um, a real movement. We really wanted it to be more than just a book, I suppose. And I think we, mm. you know, with a lot of a lot of blood, sweat and tears, I think we managed that. Yeah.
1: Let's talk about that for a moment. I think for any writer, any broadcaster, for anyone in this kind of oral communication world, the one thing I aim for is 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 resonance. And I always look for that. I'm always interested by people that achieve that. Why do you feel like your writing, with Elizabeth as well, and mm-hmm. in, in, in the work that you guys have done together and the work that you continue to do um, yourself resonates so deeply, so well, so
0: constantly? Well, first of all, thank you. That's a lovely thing to hear. Thank you very much. Um, I would say humbly, I think me and Elizabeth really prioritise authenticity over everything. I mean, we've been best friends for like 10 years. And often, because we're we're so close, like it errs on like codependency. We're like super super close. She literally like lives only a few minutes away from me. She's like we're constantly around each other's houses. We're always on the phone. We're always voice noting. So we can be in a little bit of our own echo chamber for sure. So like batting back opinions at each other, each other's opinions exactly echoing each other's opinions, and we agree on like lots of things. That being said, I think because like one thing we really definitely share in common is like a willingness to be challenged and a willingness to be open to different ideas. And we're always saying that like, you know, we we aren't, as much as we love to like parrot each other's like opinions back at each other, generally speaking, we are so happy to and willing to go against the grain. I think we that's kind of what joins us is that we're both very like um, open to different ideas. We're always wanting to be a few steps ahead. And I think looking back at Sine Your Lane, which was, you know, came out, you know, the idea was conceived in 2015, um, came out in 2018. Like now, of course, thankfully, there's like a real spate of um books that operate in that space and are doing similar things, but it really was like humbly ahead of its time. And I think it was resonant because we weren't we're never looking at what's being done now. We're always looking at what hasn't been done. So I think we're always trying to create things that, you know, will speak to a demographic or to a conversation that hasn't been had or a demographic that hasn't been served. So I think it resonates because, you know, in the UK, across Europe, even in the States, there really wasn't a book that spoke to black women in that way about those issues. And I think we were very um, willing to kind of put our heads above the parapet and say, this is something that should exist. And I think often those things tend to resonate because there's a real, silence before that something, that thing that fills the void is created. So I think the people, it really spoke to them because they were like, well, there was nothing like this before. Um, and yeah, we always try to be super authentic. We always try to speak for ourselves and not speak for anybody else. Which is why we had, you know, with Telling Your Name, we interviewed 40 different women because we felt like our experiences were you know, essentially mirrored, say Uni, both from South London, both Nigerian. We wanted lots of different perspectives. And I think, again, that's what helped achieve a level of resonance and authenticity.
1: Beautiful. And, and then to be the gatekeepers of uh, a Black woman's experience, to say, this is it. You know, yes. you tell me how I feel. A lot.
0: Tell me how to... You know, that's, yeah. that's a lot of pressure as well to hold. A lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. Um, Thank God there are two of us. <laughs> uh, thank God that, I mean, at the time, Elizabeth was like, like 22, 23. I was like 23, I think 24. We were like super young, I'm 30 now. And it was, so it was years ago we were doing this. And like, we immediately felt like, because the reason that the book came about in the first place was because Elizabeth was having struggles at work. I was having struggles at work. We were like in very, very different industries. She was in a more corporate space. I was in the creative industries and we were still coming up against, if not the same hurdles, different hurdles. Um So, we felt that, you know, that's how the book came about because Elizabeth was reading, like, Lean In and um, Girl Boss and all these other books that kind of spoke to one facet of her experience as a Black woman that didn't speak to her experience as, oh, sorry, as a woman, but didn't speak no. to her experience as a Black woman, right? So she was like, someone needs to write this book that does do that. And she kind of gave me the idea of saying, I was like, you should write this book because you're a writer. And then I was like, I think we should do it together. But then once we decided to do it together, we realised, like, wow, well, we wanted to write this book because we didn't know what we were doing. So how are we gonna tell people how to live their lives and how to slay in their proverbial lanes when we don't know? Which is why we got all these women involved and said, so, like, let's speak to experts such as Karen Blackett, June Sarpong, Mallory Blackman, Vanessa Kingori, Um, And we spoke to like, you know, 39, 40 different women about their experiences and how they had um, achieved what they needed to achieve, which was amazing from a kind of learning perspective. And there's so many gems that like we personally took home and have helped us in our career journeys. But then from a pressure perspective, it was like, okay guys, you know, we always compare it to the actual Bible and say, look, you some people read the New Testament, some yeah. people discount, you know, some people pick up a few psalms here and then you don't really read the bible like top to bottom like in a you know that's why we have bible study (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna gonna sit around we're gonna exactly compartmentalize exactly (laughs) so with us it's like we felt like look not everything's gonna speak to everybody like some people have really gone through the education system and that's less relevant some people are in happy relationships they don't need the relationship section but then you know things like there, there, we wanted it to be that there were different experiences and we wanted it to be like, look, it's as broad as we could physically at that time make it. And then we, we, we were very aware, I think, that it wasn't gonna be 100% because, you know, that's right. a lot for two girls <laughs> to do. Yeah, no, because we spoke so many people. So it was a lot of pressure, but I think we both definitely took it in our stride and we definitely didn't internalize it. So we're like, look, if anyone wants to write their own version, Feel free, and lots of people have. So yeah. Well, trendsetters, love. To. <laughs> Thank you.
1: <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to ask you this in particular because I've been thinking about this often and recently, um, especially in the workplace and how important it is. Um, <clears throat> how do you advocate for yourself in this day and age? What does that look like?
0: That's a good question. I think it's changed. I think it's definitely changed. I think. Initially, I think I've always been my sister. My older sister always says, I have this thing where she says, I can't unlook, meaning that if I see something uh, and I think it's wrong, course. I vocalize it. Really <laughs> so we don't know how to unlook. So I think I've always struggled with, like, how to, whilst I can't inverted comments unlook, I'm also incredibly conflict avoidant I'd say so it's a real kind of internal battle constantly of like trying to assert myself because I can't not but simultaneously couching things in language and being really afraid of you know ruffling feathers so when I was first starting out in work I found it really difficult to advocate for myself because if I knew something was wrong I would absolutely say it but I was afraid of a level of bluntness that I know I am at times Um, guilty of. So I would be the person who'd be writing emails with kisses and emojis at the end and no worries if not and, you know, punctuating like all these things of like, you know, with every kind of way of making it not combative and I think I've really grown out of that and I guess advocating for myself now is different because I'm not I'm freelance now i pretty much I work for myself so I find it I'm dealing with individuals on an individual level and I think I feel less afraid of like you know my entire career imploding on the basis of like one sternly written email because now I'm like working with multiple different people I also have agents and people that look after me that often provide that like offer. that face exactly that buffer for those kind of conversations. But I feel very, very confident and comfortable now advocating for myself because I just feel like I don't know if that's come with age or experience, but I am very happy to put my head above the parapet and say when I think something's wrong or say when I think something's right. And I think with your lane, we always used to put little kind of um Asteris, asteris no asterix sorry um i was trying to say the plural of asteris. but um the plural? We, i don't know i don't even know if that's even correct but we just put it like um disclaimers being like look with the work that we do as freelancers it is definitely different advocating to yourself compared to somebody that for instance works on a zero-hour contract that has children that has you know multiple possibilities because you know the buffers that You know, we have, by virtue of the way we work, by virtue of family, by virtue of all these different things, a certain lack of responsibility. I mean, we still have mortgages to pay, but it's different. So we'd always say that, like, one person's way of advocating for themselves one Black woman's way of advocating for themselves might look very different to someone else's. And we always wanted to make that clear because I know when I was, you know, 23, starting out, like even 21, starting out in journalism, mm-hmm. um, the way I did that was different. And I can imagine if I was in-house working somewhere, it'd be, I'd feel probably slightly more cautious about how I work things sometimes. Whereas now I'm just like, you know what? I think I've reached a level in my career and just in myself of confidence where I'm just very happy to mm-hmm. put my best interests like forward sometimes I do add a little kiss though just to really soften oh, a yeah. <laughs> yeah. if it's too hot, yeah it really depends but yeah I, I still can fall into that but I found myself often writing emails and then literally backspacing where I'd done the whole oh no worries if not or just checking I'd like physically force myself to like backspace it and just be like I am asking for this do you get what I mean it like, cool. takes time
1: it take, it's, it's funny because exactly what I found myself doing, I love that we're both referencing emails because that's exactly where the entire media journalist world lives. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> <or> email, yeah.
1: Trouble <laughs> <Red or> die. <laughs> it. But it's, it's that backspacing and I found myself doing it and it was uncomfortable. Oh,
0: it's so hard. It's so, it's so like, it's almost like, I don't know, it's almost like, you know that nomad, I mean, when I was a kid, I used to have braces and like, I, you had this like, this ever kind of lasting numbing pain when you first got them in and then eventually like it just kind of goes and i know it's a weird analogy but i feel like you become less like i became less aware of how much my braces hurt as time went on and i feel like with backspacing and with amending emails it's like it's that same like you have this like oh like you physically oh. feel it, like the first oh, few times but after a while you just it just goes, like you just acclimatize to being that. And I think as well, cause I used to work at um, Channel 4 News and it was such a different world to the prior job I had at ITN because in Channel 4 News, it's so, it's reporting. It's so like quick. So I remember my old boss used to literally write emails in the subject line, no, no, hello, no. just, cause it was so fast paced. He was just like, you need to do this. Duh. And he was like the nicest guy, but he, he was just like, we don't have time to mince our words. And I think I really actually learned a lot from that in terms of like just just stay get the thing, thing. get a done. Like, stay stay the, thing. The, stay thing. Stay the thing all the damn time. So I'm like, yes. I really, he was a guy and I really took, like, you know what, he's just said this. Nobody died, nobody lost their job. I think I just need to kind of do the same. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> that feels so good. I'm going to take on board. <laughs> and, 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 and by that same, I guess, grain, now that you are someone with a high profile and people look to you for writing and look to you for kind of what you're doing next. Do you ever think about, almost like a rapper would, like how your words are being received before you've written them, or do you, can you not care about that? You're so, human, of you care, but like,
0: how do you manage that relationship? It's so interesting, it's so weird. I feel like when I was starting out, I almost didn't care at all because I wasn't, I just wasn't as visible, so I just didn't care. And I would say anything on any platform. So that was whether I was writing an actual article, or column, or whether it was on social media. Then my profile kind of started to grow with your Lane. And then I got like overly cautious and was like, oh my God, mincing my, like just super, like writing tweets, deleting them, rewriting um, Instagram captions, thinking about headlines, which, which I still have issues with because obviously, as journalists, you don't write the headlines. And sometimes, especially when you're writing about things like race, mm. they can, certain publications can give very inflammatory headlines, which then leads to like a you know real deluge of like um abuse in your like direction that is just based off a headline so i still kind of have my stuff with that but i remember getting super cautious at one particular point and then i think i'm like literally coming at, like it's like it's it's peaked and now i'm kind of on the like other side now where i'm too old at this point i know i'm that old but i feel like 76. i've got a mortgage yes i've got a mortgage I always say me and Elizabeth are very old 30s, like young 30s in some ways. I know we've done a lot for like how old we are, but old in terms of, I think we're just very, we started doing a lot of stuff really quite young. I don't think we realized how young we were at 23 when we kind of started this journey. So now I feel like it's, it's kind of aging in a way where I just do not have the patience for a lot of things, for lack of a better phrase. So like, I feel like on the other side of it, I'm like, I kind of just said what I said, really. So like, when, especially with articles, I'm like, I said what I said. Like, if you want to, like, debate it, you can't because I'm not even on social media. I don't tweet for you to argue about this with me. So I just put my things out. I, I still have Twitter, but I don't, like, post um, my opinions on them. Like, if you want to know what I think, you can read about it in an article or in a book. Um, and I think with the offline diaries, I guess, I do have more cautiousness just because it's a kid's book and I know that I'm like quite sweary, generally. <laughs> I know that I'm quite like, I can say certain things, but I'm certainly not thinking about it in terms of a like self-policing way. It's just more, I know that pa- more parents and kids and stuff might be on my profile off the basis of that book. So I am still, I'm slightly like thinking about it a bit in an more. Right, way. In an exactly, way. Exactly, but certainly not like, I just, at this point, I think me and Elizabeth very much bonded as well because neither of us, Tended to give a heck about like what people really think, and I think we kind of with the hyper visibility, you know, mm-hmm. that changed. But I think now we're both just like it is what it is, you know. And I'm is prepping, it? yeah, it, it definitely is. And I'm prepping for like I know with my first novel, there again is going to be like a new level of like visibility and scrutiny. But I think slaying your Lane kind of happened, so that I'm kind of already prepared for it and know that like it is what it is if, if anything it's very easy to delete a social media account and keep it pushing so yeah you I, I don't
1: that. that. <laughs> I love that. It's so, so cool. and also like people love you for you and your authenticity and the moment you start
0: like overly editing yourself right exactly I, exactly yeah. I, I totally no, agree no, no, no. I listen to that like um I'm super, my, my platform, like my Instagram, at least in terms of my grid, it's like super curated. And I always say, no one's ever going to see, I'm never going to like do a, you know, an Insta live of me like crying or breaking down or go into my personal life and stuff. I'm just like, I'm super private. But in terms of authenticity, the people know I'm going to say what I think, whether that's in an article or like on, like my Insta stories are kind of like my, I suppose, kind of how my old Twitter was where that's where like my kind of, random musings cut, like, come from or go. And I guess, because I know they're gonna be gone in 24 hours, I'm I'll really just be saying anything. <laughs> like, I guess like it's, it is lot of my, hate to say brand, but it is, you know, I've never really been one to like, mince my words. At best, if something, if I think something might be misconstrued I might just not comment on it, and I started to really understand that that's what WhatsApp's for. That's what my friends are for. I can, do you know, what I mean, I can talk all about people anything to them that. completely unfiltered. So uh,
1: yeah. yeah, if you if you have an opinion on something but you're not informed, it's also okay for the general people Absolutely to say. Fine. I'm not informed about a
0: lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a lot of things that I'm like I have no clue. So I'm me and Elizabeth got very comfortable very early on panels especially because as i said we were quite young we we're like mid-20s so people would ask us like how do you
2: eradicate
0: mm-hmm. systemic racism in the workplace and we're like so, literally, i do not know yeah. <laughs> we're just like oh, if yeah. you find out tell us and then we will like literally you know just dissim- say yeah, this information <laughs> and the gospel out loud like, <laughs> but we do not know like we have not even <laughs> we're graduates like we're just like we do not know
1: <laughs> I love it. very very cool uh, we're gonna take a quick little music break, but you're listening to Bashak on the social on the Beat London on a 3.6 FM. Don't go anywhere. Hi guys, it's Bashak, and you are listening to the social. This is our show about all things community, culture, and connection. Don't go anywhere. What's up, guys? You're listening to the Beat London on a 3.6 FM, and we are very much back
0: with Yomi. Hi, how are you doing, still with us? I'm good, I'm good. Having a great chat with you. So yeah, all going well. Now let's talk about
1: your brand new novel, Offline Diaries, um, which I actually have right here. It's so cute. Beautiful, (laughs) love the cover as well. Um, It it looks at young friendship, uh, essentially in the modern age, um, which I really thought was powerful to have the little chat bubbles and little conversations happening, because it's real, you know, it's realistic. Why Why did you guys want to write this kind of book, um, you know, following on from Slaying Your Name?
0: Yeah, I mean, so when Slaying Your Name came out, I think oh, aside from like probably the number one thing or number one, two thing or joint request we got was people like, we need a Slaying Your Name for men. And we were like, oh, that's that's up to men. Like <laughs> some guy needs to do wow. That's not really our business. But like, we're like, you know, we're all for that. But then the other thing people constantly says is they wanted Slaying Your Lane for kids. And people constantly being like, really want like a kid's book that like speaks to black girls and X, Y, Z. And we were like, you know what? Like, when it comes to staying Your Lane, I think a lot of people have asked, you know, can my kid read this? Can my like 11-year-old, can my 8-year-old read this? And, you know, if all we cared about was sales, we'd be like, yeah, sure. Like, have them read that book. Like, it's fine. But... We were like, not really. Like, buy it if you want them to, like, read it when they turn, like, 16, 17, whatever, 15, maybe. Um, If they're, like, you know, especially, like, I mean, I guess with Gen Z and, like, whatever the generations are below that, because I do not know. But, like, with the younger generations, I think they're a lot more, like, politically attuned anyway than we are. So, definitely, like you know, maybe you could be younger, but what we were saying is that we didn't really like the idea. I mean, firstly, it's a lot of stats. It's very stat heavy, it's very data heavy. It's quite like researched and quite like, you know, cerebral reading. So we were like, we don't think kids can get their heads around that necessarily anyway. But also I kind of grew up with an understanding that, yes, I had to work twice as hard to get half as much. Absolutely. But also with parents that pretty much told me I could do absolutely anything I wanted. And that, you know, I wasn't, you know, going to be amazing in spite of anything. I was going to be amazing because, I mean, it's, I'm Nigerian, it's a very Nigerian attitude. Like, you know, they were just like, you're going to be great. And I think that's partially why I have managed to do what I've been able to do because I didn't really internalize any ideas of inferiority at all. And I was really quite bubbled from that. I grew up in Croydon where I still live, where it's a very black population. Um, I didn't, of course, there was, you know, the world creeps in and there, there were certain situations in terms of where, yes, you know, there was that level of insecurity in terms of whatever. But I didn't have that, I think, in the same way as many other young, minoritized kids do in the country, especially if they're growing up in predominantly white areas. Um, I didn't really think about that stuff went to school which was a predominantly white school, but then I'd come back and I'd be in and It was uni where it really hit. So we were like, we don't really love the idea of like kids reading something that's then going to make them internalize before they've even been able to like have their brains develop that, you know, they're already on the back foot and they're already this, and that, you know, regardless of what the stats say. So we're like, we want to do something that empowers young black kids, but we want it to be done in a way of representation. So we were like, we want kids to look at characters that look like them and that are from similar backgrounds to them and eat the same food as them and have names like them. Do you know what I mean? As opposed to it being, we're gonna write a slay name that kind of talks about like the hardship that black girls and women face. And I think that's why how the offline diaries came about. And we wanted something that really spoke, I mean, obviously me and Elizabeth are best friends. So we wanted something that looked to best friendship and the power of that which is how Ade and Shanice came about and then we wanted something that kind of had like a I suppose message that we felt was resonant and important today which is looking at you know me and Elizabeth both have very complicated relationships with social media and the internet sometimes we love it other times we hate it so we really wanted something that looked at how that's affecting kids today and that's pretty much how I came around
1: what a beautiful um, kind of thought process to start from and a protective one almost as well, because you're right, you could have said, here you go, give it to give it to give it to the masses. But actually, there is something to be said about everyone's lived experience developing yeah. and, and in their own moments and pauses from the world in a way that can be really formative if it's wrong. Right, exactly. Hundred percent. How was the writing perspective? How was it writing from the perspective of young girls? Given that you're you're now
0: not young girls, yeah. Or am I? Or well, <laughs> I mean, it was so. Was it, was, I, it cute? was it? It was hard. I mean, I mean, I kept keep saying like I don't know any children. <laughs> like I literally know one child who is my godson, and he's turning three actually like next week um was it this week yeah this week um but he's quite literally the only child i know he's a baby um, as well. he's a baby he's <laughs> a toddler. but he's you know like three going on like 13 but like he literally is a baby and he's quite literally the only child i know <laughs> so i was like how am i supposed to write about kids? i don't know any kids so i was like i don't know any so and elizabeth's got like younger siblings so she was able to kind of mind them about you know for information, what's TikTok? Who's the like, you know, what's that? What do you guys do? I think um for me I really had to like almost go back in time. And when I was a kid I used to read a lot, um a lot. And I really loved makeup and I really loved um specifically and I love Mary Mallory Blackman but specifically I loved um Jackson Wilson who was kind enough to give us a quote for our book which is amazing. Oh. And um you know, yeah, she was- we were dying. Well, oh my god, my 9-year-old self is on the floor. But yeah, I think I really had to kind of like mentally go back to like reading those books what resonated with to me, with me with books like um Tracy Beaker and um The Illustrated Mom and Dustbin Baby and all all her kind of books and really kind of enter that space um and like literally even try to read some of those books and like get back into because I still like have like have them at my parents house and my parents don't live far, well. so really having to like get back in that space and it was difficult but really quite like fun because I think there's a candidness especially because it's like written in a diary format and um, there's a real honesty that younger people tend to have and and I think the world is so small in but then simultaneously big in a way that so many things like like things like friendship and like what your favorite color is and like you know what you're studying like they they are your world at that age like when you're like eight it's like the biggest thing in the world to you are your friends and to be honest that kind of can often continue in a particular way but when you've got like bills to pay and you've got like work and whatever i think we kind of lose sight of like there's a connectedness I think kids have with themselves and like with things that are like like their family and like just things like their the, the area, things that are very immediate and like, you know, up the road and close, there's a real kind of like importance. So I, I think it was really having to step outside of myself, which is like looking at my Google calendar and like worrying about like things that are like, you know, a year, a year from now and really get into like, a kid mindset where it's like, you know, you're really thinking about tomorrow. Like, what's tomorrow's school gonna be like a- at school? What's, the- what's lunch? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Things like what you're gonna get for Christmas really matter, like really. And you kind of forget because I'm like, oh, wow, I don't, I, don't- I, don't- I don't- haven't God. asked Mum for like, a Christmas. <laughs> I haven't thought about Christmas present big years, but I'm like, oh yeah, actually, yeah. When you're a kid, it's like you really spend a long time thinking about your birthday, thinking about these things are like really big milestones. So. Yeah, it was really quite nice and wholesome. I think getting back into that headspace for sure.
1: I love that. Um, how would you? just, you, you mentioned a few times that you and Elizabeth are best friends. I love that, you, that. The friendship you're describing is much like me and my best friend in that it's very codependent. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, how would you describe uh, the essence of friendship to you?
0: Um, I would say because I mean, gosh, I think I think it really is about. Making the other person better, and I don't think it has to be like in terms of career, which I've been really lucky that me and Elizabeth have been able to affect each other's careers in a you know really positive way. But I'd say, like, even though I said, you know, we love to like kind of back and forth and just agree, like we just have very similar mindsets. I think the fact that like we are so close that like when we do like disagree, mm. it's almost like exciting because I'm like, oh wow, like okay, you don't agree with me. Like, wow, maybe I actually need to reflect on this because this person who I respect and have a lot of time for is telling me like, maybe I messed up here or maybe this is actually wrong. And I think like, it's that corrective that you know is coming from a place of love. And I feel like with me and Elizabeth, we're very like happy to just be very, really frank with each other and like just constantly support each other, uplift each other. And yeah, like, you know, I guess, like, make each other laugh as well, because I think, like, humor's a really big part of, like, our friendship, and we try to instil that in the characters Ada and Shanice and make their friendship really about fun and laughter and X, Y, Z, but also hardship, because I always say Elizabeth was more, like, a sister to me. We're very, very close. Um My family's close with her as well, Um so it's very much, like, an understanding that, you know, things aren't... what Me and Elizabeth have fallen out millions of times. <laughs> like, millions we fell out while writing the book. So it's so like, you know, it's literally like, it is what it is. But knowing that, just like with my sisters, like that doesn't, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't mean anything. And we're always going to be there, like when it actually comes down to, to it. And I remember once like we'd fallen out, but it was like her birthday and it was like, I still, I still have to say, I have to call her. Like, <laughs> so, like, happy birthday, even if it's begrudging and vice versa, because yeah, like it's, it's, um. You know, I think it is just about positively impacting the other's life and making someone's life better isn't always like, because you like, you know, help them with their career. It's often just being there. Like them as a person as well. Exactly, exactly yeah.
1: that. I love that. I mean, it's such a side of also, Growth and, and, and space and breathability that I like love being a female for this reason because I'm not
0: in yeah. better friendships like this. I'm like, Aah. oh my God. I mean, Liz, we've talked about this all the time because obviously, as I said, you know, we, we have been for sure like codependent, like definitely. I think we've like learned, uh, I don't know if there's such things as healthy codependence, but now it's like, <laughs> you know, much more like healthy way. But I think like one thing that I do not envy about guys at all is I think we were talking about this so often in romantic relationships, men. I think, not to generalize before like anyone says anything, but I feel like men often, like really when they are in romantic relationships with women, like really end up like sharing in a particular way. And then when they break up, like feel it in a different way to women. Because I feel like with women, we're so used to like sharing with each other and like, I know that when I've, like, gone through, like, breakups or whatever, like, I know that I'm going to spend, like, however long I need to on the phone with my best friends. And with guys, I think, aside from an unwillingness often to, like, emote, there is that thing of just, like, respectfully, a shallowness sometimes or, like, a lack of depth to friendship, which means that when you're really going through it, I think it can be harder at times to really feel supported. Supported. That is that can be considered generalisation, but to be fair, I've mentioned it to a lot of my male friends because again, I'm like one of the few people they're able to like really be candid with about their lives and their fears and frustrations, and they're like, yeah, like I'm not going to talk to my boys like in this way, whereas me and Elizabeth will, like be wailing on the phone for like two hours and we don't think anything of it. It's like, yeah, that's <laughs> that's friendship You, you know, what I mean? <laughs> yeah, then you move exactly, on. Yeah, just cry and move on. <laughs>
1: very true if elizabeth was here right now how would
0: she describe you in three words oh a little fun
1: oh my god I'll
0: ask her actually after this <laughs> right because i feel like she would say what would she say because she, she describes me like in lots of different ways but i'd say immediately she'd probably say supportive because i think that's very much the basis of our friendship like there's been a lot of like mutual support there i think she'd say um what's the word like a pusher like an encourager like i'm really doer? yeah like I'm a doer but for other like i'm very much like trying to like galvanize others so and what sorry cheerleader Yes, I think she said cheerleader, and I'd hope she'd sound funny. I'd hope so because I'm like, otherwise I don't know what we've been doing for the past like. What have we been doing? What like literally, know? all our voice are just like us like laughing about something random. So okay, I so we're supportive, cheerleader, and funny. Fun. I will I will check that with her. She's gonna say something completely different. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And what can we expect from you for the rest of 2022? Of course, the book is out. You're working on your debut novel as well. What else are you into? Oh, so
0: The Offline Diaries is out on the 28th, a day after Elizabeth's birthday. Um, So that's cute. And I think that's like going to be taking up quite a bit this year. Um, My book, The List, is out, gosh, next year. But I'll be doing a lot of promo for that, that. book is about the internet as well um in short (laughs) and (laughs) also about like the impact of social media as much as someone who hates social media as much as me in bird commas writes about it a lot um and then I've got like lots of list-based stuff that frustratingly I can't talk talk about about yet but I hope very soon I'll be able to talk about that because I've been like you know, bursting to kind of speak about we can that. Get more. you back on the show. You're oh, that'd be awesome. great. That would be great. Yes, so <laughs>
1: like Thank you so much. much for taking the time.
0: No worries at all. Thank you for having me.
1: Of course. Now, guys, we're going to get into some more music. I'm going to play a little Corinne Bailey Ray coming up next.
2: sweet little girls double dutch on the concrete maybe sometimes we got it wrong but it's alright The more things seem to change the while they stay the same don't you hesitate go put your Cause I'm more than I could take. Pity for pity's sake. Some nights kept me awake. I thought that I was stronger.